Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour two. Hello. Welcome, America. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I have a bone to pick with some of you. I mentioned offhandedly that I was going to Orlando, and while I was there tomorrow after my event at WDBO, I intend to take my aunt and uncle, my Uncle Leaf, and my Aunt Jan out to dinner. Yes, my uncle is Leif Erickson, the Viking. And I mentioned I was going to surprise him and take him out to dinner. And I called him last night to say, Uncle Leaf, I'm coming to Orlando. I've worked it out. My schedule will work. Can I take you out to dinner? And he says, I've been waiting for you to call. People told me you were going to take me to dinner. Heard it on the radio. They heard it on the radio. I, I You people, you don't let me keep surprised. I got to stop sharing my, my secrets with you guys because people call my Uncle Leaf and they're like, hey, expect a phone call from your nephew. <laughs> That's fine. I was going to take him out anyway. But he was not surprised. I called and he says, E.W., you taking me out to dinner? <laughs> I was surprised he knew because of you people. But that's okay. I got to move on. Uh, so I want to talk about the Hispanic vote. But actually, um, I I have a sermon building in my head. No, no, this isn't theology. This is politics. I have something building in my head, and I got to I got to get it off my chest. We'll get into the Hispanic vote, which is fine. If you knew how little show prep I did today, you would be thanking me. So, friends, listeners, I would like to talk to you for a moment about Twitter, please. This is relevant to Joe Biden's speech last night. I keep getting asked about Twitter by people. Let me explain to you how Twitter came into being. Okay, okay, I promise no theology, but I got to read this story just so you understand, just so you understand. You, you got to get the you got to get the whole context here. This is Mark 5, very famous story in the Bible. They came to the other side of the sea. When Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? I abjure you by God. Do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, my friends, demons are immortal beings. Where do you think they went after the pigs drowned in the sea? 
they went to Silicon Valley and invented Twitter. That explains social media right there. That story, that's what happened. After the pigs died, the demons were bored and invented Twitter. That explains everything. No, you should not be on Twitter. It's where the horde of Mordor awaits. But, but, here's the thing. For a lot of people, Twitter is reality. Now, I must discuss myself and confess my sins. You know, years ago, I said something very bad on Twitter. Probably be carved on my tombstone. We need not relive it. You probably all know it. It was bad. And at the time, it wasn't even my original thought. It was a friend of mine, and I thought it was hilarious. And it was just me talking with friends on Twitter, and I put it on Twitter. And, well, it turns out it wasn't just me talking to friends. It was everybody paying attention to what I said, and it kind of blew up into a thing. And I got to admit, being on Twitter, sometimes you just want to say something provocative. Every once in a while, I'll troll people just to get a rise out of people because sometimes it's kind of fun. Not very Christian of me, I realize, but it's kind of fun to get a rise out of people. And sometimes you say stuff, stuff, insightful stuff, and you're like, why are why aren't people retweeting? I'm brilliant. Why aren't I retweeting? Let's make it more provocative. And you get worked up and you get tweets. Now, I have the worst followers on Twitter, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to any of you who follow me, but you know if you follow me, I have horrible followers who say horrible things. I don't actually see them because none of them actually really care to reply to me, but then these people jump in to see what I say. They don't follow me, but they monitor what I say, and they come in and say horrible things. If I say Jesus is real, all the atheists come out. If I say the sun comes up tomorrow, they say, but Trump! More and more people who are isolated in real life define themselves based on their social media existence. Thus, we arrive at the President of the United States last night. What we know is the president felt compelled to give a second speech about threats to democracy after the first speech fell flat a month ago, two months ago now. What we know is that CNN and MSNBC moved on to other news the moment the speech was over. What we know is that Joe Biden's White House is staffed with a group of 20-something progressives from Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders' political campaigns and Kamala Harris's staffers. And what we know is that these kids, and they are kids, they don't have much lived experience. Their families are well-to-do, subsidizing their existence in drug habits in Washington, D.C., paying for their abortions. What we know is that they believe Twitter is the real world. And they're not out to do anything meaningful in this country. They're out to win the next tweet. Joe Biden would never have given a speech like he gave last night or in Philadelphia if it was not about winning the Twitter war. 
So, you know, let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. It's a phenomenon of the right. It was um, during a NASCAR race. The crowd was chanting F Joe Biden. Loudly enough that the reporter, female reporter who was interviewing Brandon, I forget his last name, who won the NASCAR race that day, said, can you hear it? The crowd is saying, let's go, Brandon. I mean, you could, even the driver was like, ah, lady, I don't think that's what they were saying. You could hear them say the crowd cheering loudly and chanting F Joe Biden, except they weren't saying the letter. They were saying the word that the letter represents. And so people were like, oh, that's a, that's a funnier way to say it without the profanity. So let's say, let's go Brandon, which means F Joe, F Joe Biden. Let's go. Brandon means the other. LGB means FJB. If only there was a T and a Q at the end of it. Nonetheless, let's go. Brandon took over. It became a thing on the right. Well, a couple of months ago, based on Chinese propaganda websites, and I'm not actually making that up. It was Chinese propagandist sites. These Chinese propaganda sites started circulating dark Brandon memes. And by dark Brandon memes, I mean they were showing like embracing Democrats, embracing the idea of Brandon. It was Joe Biden with red eyes ablaze and Joe Biden owning the the conservatives. And the Democrats decided to embrace it. They're going to start throwing punches. They were going to do this sort of stuff. They were going to, they were going to fight back and they were going to own Brandon as their own. And it became this thing the Democrats embraced from Chinese propaganda. The Chinese baited them. The Democrats took it on Twitter and revved up Dark Brandon. It's not a surprise at all. The lighting, the red whorehouse lighting that Joe Biden used for his September 1st speech mirrored the visual images of the Dark Brandon memes. I'm not making that up. It did. His red glowing eyes and the light from the Dark Brandon memes, they they mirrored the Dark Brandon meme and it blew up in their faces. Because they embraced Twitter. They embraced the narratives of Twitter. They believed Twitter was real life. That if they could win Twitter, they won the fight. Twitter is not the real world. Most Americans are not on Twitter. Those who are skew heavily to the left in most cases at the prominent level. Although they're fleeing because Elon Musk bought it. It's not the real world. And these progressives bought it as the real world. Now, there are people on the right who are in danger of thinking the same thing, that they got to win the Twitter fight every day, win the Twitter war, and they win, and they will be losers like the Democrats. But right now, we don't have to worry about that so much because the losers are the Democratic Party. Because they've decided to win the Twitter war. And in winning the Twitter fight, they've lost reality. Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren, they both flamed out on the campaign trail. Kamala Harris first. Kamala Harris was such a bad candidate, she did not even make it to Iowa. And in the New York Times autopsies of both campaigns, the autopsy of Kamala Harris included a criticism from top Democratic strategists that her campaign was too interested in winning the daily Twitter fight. 
And in the autopsy of Elizabeth Warren, it was that Elizabeth Warren's team was too interested on what people are talking about on Twitter. They made the mistake of believing that Twitter is real life. And those people who failed those campaigns and those candidates now work for Joe Biden. So somewhere in the White House, a 20-something progressive Twitterati decided Joe Biden needed to win the tweet war and has now twice convinced Joe Biden that he needs to give dark Brandon speeches about threats to democracy. It's what the kids on Twitter are all worked up about. The Democrats believe that threats to democracy, it's what will win because Jen Rubin's on Twitter and she says so. Never mind, she's an idiot. If you don't know who she is, drop to your knees right now and thank the Lord. The Democrats are so invested in winning the narrative war on Twitter, they've left reality to the Republicans. And the Republican leadership at this point is still hesitant to embrace Twitter. I'm afraid Republicans are going to fall into that trap. I see more and more conservatives on Twitter. They just want to own the left on Twitter. Uh, a portion of the Republican base of, of Trump supporters, they just want to own the left. You can't own the left and win America. you got to win America, and then you own the left. And they do it backwards. Same thing that these Democrats are doing. They are losing power because they convinced themselves Twitter was the real world. And all Twitter is is that hellhole that the demons invented after they got out of the pigs. And by winning the Twitter war, they're just playing device, not to virtue. And the American public really wants someone who has some virtue right now who can save the damage, save us from the damage the Democrats have inflicted. Let's pause and just talk about what's going on in the country for a moment. We got sky-high inflation. We got runaway government spending. Trust in Washington is completely eroded. When government is this dysfunctional, you got to change the course of the country. You know you have to. That's why I'm excited about the work Americans for Prosperity is doing. They're focused on policy solutions that actually improve people's lives, unlike so many in D.C. who just want to play political football and have power. Americas for Prosperity doesn't just come up with solutions. They act on those solutions. They have the largest network of community activists in the country. They are out there every day talking to millions of their fellow Americans. If you're interested in seeing how you can get started with Americans for Prosperity in your community, visit americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. That's americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Oh my gosh. You will never guess what I just saw advertised online. Some advertisements are genius. I can't believe no one has come up with this before. What a great idea. It is a Hans Gruber advent calendar. It's Nakatomi Plaza with Hans Gruber falling out the window. And every day he descends a little further. And the 25th is when he splats on the ground. What a genius advent calendar. Oh, my gosh. That's just brilliant. A diehard Hans Gruber advent calendar. My goodness, Die Hard, really. In and Home Alone, the two greatest Christmas movies ever made. 
I am I, I we watch Die Hard in my house every I've got a friend, his family watches Christmas Vacation every year. We showed it to our kids. They were not impressed with the language and all of that, but then they got to Die Hard and I was like, wait a second, it's got worse language than, than Christmas Vacation, kids. My kids love Die Hard. It is their favorite Christmas movie too. Uh, and we may need to get the Hans Gruber advent calendar. I I, uh, I may have to do this. That's just fantastic watching Gruber fall as the oh my goodness, what a what a fantastic thing. Oh goodness, look at this. I just got a text message. My absentee ballot for the general election has been accepted. I will be given credit for voting. Your vote will be counted. If you have any questions, please call the Board of Elections at blah, blah, blah. This is an auto-generated message from my local Board of Elections. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. We have other stuff I have to talk about. The Hispanic vote. We will get to that when I come back because Tim Alberta in Atlantic actually has a very big piece. But I need you to know something that's going on right now in the press. You know, go back several months and the media would say, the Democrats, they might be able to keep the House of Representatives. We're now seeing the media play catch up to what we've always known. The midterms were going to be brutal for the Democrats. This is from Axios right now. With less than a week to go before the midterms, just about everything is breaking for the Republicans. Just a few weeks ago, Republicans seemed on the ropes thanks to a slate of polarizing MAGA-aligned candidates with seemingly strong Democrat opponents. Now, all those fortunes seem to be reversed. Cook Political Report yesterday moved its ratings for 10 more House districts in solid blue, New York, New Jersey, Oregon, California, and Illinois in the Republican direction. If all the Cooks lean likely in solid Republican races hold, the GOP would only need to win six of the 35 toss-up races to take the majority. Democrats would need to win 29 of the 35. 538's Senate forecast shows the race for the upper chamber remains a dead heat but gives the Republicans a lead for the first time since July. Yesterday, the lead was 51-49. Today, the lead is 53-49 or 53-47. Between the lines, candidate quality may not be as decisive as it once seemed. Extreme or unpopular Republican nominees may not be as big a liability as they once seemed. Keep a close eye on Blake Masters in Arizona, Don Bullduck in, in New Hampshire. Keep an eye on Herschel Walker in Georgia, where now more polling shows he will win without a runoff. That's right. Polling in Georgia has shifted even more decisively towards Herschel Walker. Echelon Insights, my buddy Patrick Graffini has a poll out now that has Walker up seven. Now, they're not the most reliable pollster. They're very good data research firm. They're not the most reliable pollster, but they've got uh, Walker up seven. Uh, they've got Kemp up 10. Remington Research has Walker up four now. Fox News has Walker up one. Fox 5 in Atlanta has Walker up three. Uh, this is bad, bad trending for Democrats across the nation, and all the media suddenly like, "Hey, Democrats, y'all are about to get y'all are about to get clobbered." Don't don't think it's a surprise. Get ready for it, so that you don't like jump off a building. It's coming. It's going to be bad. Wait till you hear about the Hispanic vote. 
The holidays are the most exciting time of year, and if you want to enjoy them to the fullest, you need to get the best night's sleep every single night, particularly before your kids wake you up early during the holidays. My goodness gracious, it's easier than it sounds, though. You need the softest, most luxurious organic cotton sheets from Bowling Branch. Their sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. They make a difference. You can truly feel night after night. Forget the script that they gave me to read. Y'all, let me just tell you, Bowling Branch, I sleep on their sheets, and they get softer every single time I wash them. They are so soft at this point. Like, they start out, and they're fine. They're good sheets. You can tell they've got a nice weight to them. They've got a good thread count. The quality of the fabric is, is very nice. But the more you wash them, the more you realize how good they are because they get softer, but they don't fray. That makes a real difference. I can tell you, I sleep on Bowling Branch sheets. I bought them myself even. They didn't send them to me as an advertiser. I actually bought them. We've been buying them for a while. They're towels and other things as well. But their signature sheets, they come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box for you. Your gifts are going to look great. You can give these sheets to people you love. Bring home a better night's sleep this holiday season with Bowling Branch Bedding. For a limited time, 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code ERIC, bowlandbranch.com. Greetings. Welcome, America. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Operator standing by. Tomorrow, I will be broadcasting live from WDBO in Orlando, Florida, my affiliate down there. Uh, it is a sister station to my flagship station, WSB. Be down there doing live Lister Lounge, uh, having a good time, eating some Panera bread, It'll be fun. I'm excited. My kids are so upset I'm going to Orlando. They really want to go to Disney World. They didn't. Like, they're not big Disney fans, and now they're suddenly like, yeah, I think I want to go back again. Maybe one day. We'll see. Okay. I want to talk about Hispanic voters, and you're going to have to forgive me because I want to actually read to you a bit of a, a bit of a story here to get started on this because there's some data. But this this sets the tone. Tim Alberta is such a great writer. I know occasionally I get emails from some of you, you know who you are, say, you're reading too much. You should just summarize in your own words. Occasionally, it's worth actually reading the words of the author so that all of us can savor this together. Have you ever met someone who's watching their life's work, their very legacy, fall apart in front of their eyes? I'm talking to two of them right now. Earl and Mary Rose Wilcox spent the morning juggling photo plates of chorizo and shouting orders in Spanish toward the kitchen behind them. Now they're catching their breath in a corner booth at El Portal, the South Phoenix restaurant they've run for two decades. They point out the members of their family depicted in a mural on the nearby wall, retracing the mission that brought them to this place and wondering aloud how it all went so wrong. I came to Arizona looking to answer the question of why, over the past few years, so many Hispanics have fled the Democratic Party. This exodus is evident across numerous counties, congressional districts, and battleground states, but the stakes seem highest in Arizona, where Republicans are promoting a slate of extremist candidates and counting on Hispanic voters to help put them in office. What I found is Earl and Mary Rose, 
a couple in their mid-70s and the twin bosses of a Phoenix political machine reckoning with the same alpha conclusion I've heard from so many Hispanics, both here and around the country. The party doesn't care about us, Mary Rose tells me. They pretend to care every two years. This is why, this is why I'm reading this. Just, just follow along here. When Earl and Mary Rose bought El Portal in 1999 in the working-class barrio of Grant Park, they didn't know much about running a kitchen. Earl had been one of the few Hispanic lawmakers in the state legislature. Mary Rose broke barriers twice as the first Hispanic woman ever elected to the city council and the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. But the Wilcoxes envisioned the cramped, dusky dining room of El Portal as more than a place for cheap tacos and tequila. It would be a de facto headquarters for the city's Hispanic Democrats. There weren't many of them, but Earl and Mary Rose knew that was about to change. The Hispanic population was just beginning to boom. And the potential of those voters to tip elections towards Democrats nationally, but particularly in Arizona was becoming more apparent with every campaign. Hispanics are not a monolith, even if the political class treated them as such. The Wilcoxes wanted to harness the political promise of that community. What they didn't want was to be taken advantage of. They felt the Democrats were prone to patronizing Hispanics, offering noble rhetoric but never a seat at the table. Earl and Mary Rose decided the only way to advance their interests was to start organizing, creating a base of power separate from the parties, making the Hispanic vote so essential no Democrat could win without it. The Wilcoxes staged protests, hosted candidate events, ran voter registration drives, transported voters to polls. Yet the next two decades brought little but defeat. Two losing battles over comprehensive immigration reform, the signing of SB 1070, Arizona's law codifying racial profiling, perpetual conflict with Sheriff Joe Arpaio, who terrorized Hispanic neighborhoods with roundups and targeted his political opponents. He once even indicted Mary Rose. She and Earl sued him in the county for violating civil rights and won a $975,000 settlement. Then there was Donald Trump. Finally, in 2020, a breakthrough. Joe Biden didn't just win the election, he won Arizona only the second time since Harry Truman's administration, a Democrat, had carried the state. Given Biden's winning margin, three-tenths of a point, and the unprecedented turnout of Hispanic voters, there could be no disputing who delivered Arizona. The state's Hispanic population had tripled since 1990, but Republicans had spent those years doubling down on the harsh policies and immigration policies appealing to their white conservative base. Earl and Mary Rose had spent decades waiting for the GOP's bill to come due, and on election night 2020, they toasted a new era. And then the strangest thing happened. People started coming into El Portal to vent their frustrations and unload their grievances against the Democrats. Our community... We may not be educated at the highest levels, but we have street smarts. We know when people are BSing us, Earl tells me, motioning to the people sitting around us. You know what they say to Democrats now? Bunch of BS, but in Spanish. That's right. That's right. This family, this couple, since the 1990s, have been building up 
the Hispanic support in Arizona, moving them to the Democratic Party. And guess what? They built up all that Hispanic support, and now it's flipped to the GOP. Over the past few years, Hispanics have begun abandoning the Democratic Party, defying generations of political patterns. In the 2018 midterms, when Democrats regained the House of Representatives, they won the Hispanic vote by 40 points. In 2020, Democrats carried it with 33 points against Trump. The party's margin against GOP candidates nationwide shrank to 27 points. And now Hispanics are splitting in a statistical tie between the two parties. Even if the findings are exaggerated, it's evident Republicans are poised to win the biggest share of Hispanics in the modern era. Given the ferocity of criticisms Earl relays to me from his patrons, Democrats are insufficiently patriotic, they're elitist in their cultural sensibilities, they are oblivious to the struggles and priorities of working people. I ask the obvious question, how durable is this party's hold in the Hispanic vote? He thinks for a moment, there's a professor, of course it's a professor from Arizona State, he tells me, who comes by. On a recent morning, after overhearing some of Earl's regulars sounding off about the Democrats over breakfast, the professor pulled Earl aside. He could sense Earl was anxious about it all and said, don't worry. Whatever gains the GOP is making, they're going to be temporary. Hispanics will never abandon the Democratic Party. Now, I will stop there. Earl himself says, I don't, I'm not so sure anymore. Remember the Republican autopsy? The Republican autopsy in 2012 after the Republicans lost, the liberal Republicans at the elite establishment level of the party got together and they said, oh, we must do comprehensive immigration reform. We must suck up to Hispanics. We must give them everything. Um, it wasn't true. It was never going to be true. The problem here, as always, is that Hispanic voters are not Hispanic voters. Not Hispanic voters. What does that mean? It means they're Puerto Ricans. They're Mexicans, they're Venezuelans, they're Colombians, they're Cubans, they're Dominicans, they're Nicaraguans, they're Guatemalans, they're Hondurans, they're Panamanians, they're Argentinians. You can't lump them all in, and for years, for years, the Democrats have lumped them all in together. And actually, do you know a name, another name, do you know a synonym for a Hispanic voter? Are you ready for this? Can you name a synonym for a Hispanic voter? Shh, this gives away the game. Don't don't say this to people. Keep this as a secret. Do you know the synonym for a Hispanic voter? An American. Surprise! I I know this may stun some of you. Hispanic voters 
are Americans. And instead of treating them as a demographic category that didn't even exist until the 1970s in American censuses, why not treat them as Americans or treat them as immigrants from their backgrounds? They're Cuban Americans. They're Puerto Rican Americans. They're Mexican Americans. They're Honduran Americans. You don't even have to hyphenate them, though. They're just Americans. This is from Tim Alberta again. Neither the left nor the right really understands Hispanics who are motivated by different issues than black voters to the extent they could be categorized at all. In Florida alone, Cubans are generally more conservative than Colombians who are more conservative than Puerto Ricans. The Mexicans who live across the Southwest have distinct ideological profiles that depend on how long they've been in the United States and from what part of Mexico they're from. All the emphasis on non-whites and the GOP's inability to win them made it hard to see the very different reasons the different blocs that supported Democrats or their different degrees of partisan loyalty. That's right. Been saying this for years. The Hispanic moniker or the Latino moniker is so mislabeling because these people, they're not Hispanic. They're Americans. They just happen to be from Central and South America. And every one of those countries is different and has different governments and different respect for the rule of law and different reasons for why they immigrated. Some came here for work. Some came here to escape. Some came here because they got transported here by existing businesses who needed them to move from their white-collar job there to their white-collar job here. Some of them walked here. Some of them flew here. Some of them came across the border illegally over time, and their families became American citizens. They were born here, and their mom and dad are illegal aliens, and they're Hispanic, but they're here, and they're American now because they were born here. Some of them came here because they were tired of the corruption in their own countries. They were tired of the socialism, and they wanted the capitalism of American. Some of them wanted the American dream. Some of them just came here because they were sent here by bosses and they settled down here and they decided they liked it here. They all came here for different reasons. Some of them fled dictators. But what they have in common is they are mothers and they are fathers. They are husbands and they are wives. They are children and grandchildren. They are doctors and lawyers. They are plumbers and electricians. They're some of the hardest workers in America. And they want the American dream for their children. Many of them are here just sending money back home to relatives who can't afford to come here. And the Democrats have lumped them all in under the label Latinx, a word that is not even pronounceable in Spanish. Latin X does not exist. And what it does is allow a group of academic white people in the United States to erase the nuances of the culture that these people still love and Americans love too. Taco Tuesday is a thing. Tacos every day is a thing. Tacos are glorious. Empanadas, you name it. They have assimilated into this country. They are part of the American fabric, and the Democrats treat them as some other that should be theirs and only theirs. 
According to Quinnipiac Today, the House Republicans have gained support of 46% of Hispanic registered voters compared to 42% among Democrats. It's the four-point lead in the House with a one-point lead in the Senate. It is the first time in American history Republicans have overtaken Democrats in plurality support among Hispanic voters, according to Quinnipiac. Because Hispanic voters have reacted to the Democrats' rejection of the American dream and making the free markets a pejorative, and that's why they came here. And now they're here looking for the American dream, and the Democrats are trying to tell them the American dream is racist. And they're thinking, if the American dream is racist, am I a racist? Why are you using Latinx? And the Cubans and the Puerto Ricans and the Colombians and the Venezuelans and the Mexicans and the Guatemalans and the Hondurans and the Nicaraguans and the Panamanians, the Bolivians, the Peruvians, the Argentinians, the Dominicans, they're all shifting right particularly those who go to church, and the majority of them do. No amount of Eden pure thunderstorms can clean the air between the Democrats and those voters right now. Democrats can try, though. You, however, can clean the air of your house with an Eden pure thunderstorm. Right now, there's a BOGO. You buy one, you get one free. You go to EdenPureDeals.com and you put in Eric BOGO, E-R-I-C-K-B-O-G-O, no space, E-R-I-C-K-B-O-G-O, right there on the front page, EdenPureDeals.com. You put in the discount code. You buy one, you get one free. You buy two, you get two free. You buy three, you get three free. You get the pattern here. Eric BOGO is the code. They wipe out odors. I'm headed to Orlando. I'm staying at a fancy hotel, but I've got my Eden Pure Thunderstorm with me. I keep it in my suitcase just in case the rental car stinks. I can plug it up with a USB cord if there's a USB outlet in the car. If the hotel stinks, I can plug it into the wall. It works. It'll work for you. It wipes out bad odors. It also gets rid of the dust and the pollen and the like, but I use it to eliminate odors. EdenPureDeals.com is the website, and the discount code is Eric Bogo. I'm coming, I'm coming. This hour is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. They are in Noonan, Georgia. Don't let that deter you, folks, because they can help you nationwide if you're in Portland, Oregon, or Portland, Maine, or Jacksonville, Florida, or Los Angeles, California. Coast to coast, even Honolulu, they can help you. What you do is you go to firstlibertyga.com and you tell them I sent you, and they may be able to help you get to... Uh, yes, where a whole lot of banks in America are telling people no right now. It's kind of becoming the story these days. Go to FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. Now, I need to give you a programming alert. At the bottom of the next hour, a buddy of mine is stopping by to talk to me. Uh, I Actually, I shouldn't say he's a buddy of mine because I have actually don't really know him well, but Rick Perry, former governor of Texas and the energy secretary, introduced me to Alex Epstein, and he has written a book about energy policy and climate. He's actually an expert on it, and one of his books is The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, and the current book, the one I just finished reading, was Fossil Future, and I actually am intrigued by his book because his essential argument is we're never going to get rid of it. And he's got a a lot of uh, great research out there, and I want to talk to him about it. But before I get to Alex and his book, I want to talk about crime when we come back. 
because the Democrats are insisting crime isn't a problem. It's all in our heads and it's media scare scenario. And I saw an interesting piece at the American Prospect, which is a far left website, but it's written by Stan Greenberg, the Democrats' most respected pollster. And the headline is How Democrats Mishandled Crime. When Stan Greenberg speaks to the Democrats, we all should listen to what he says. And I want to spend some time on the crime issue when we come back because Democrats, instead of acknowledging your problem, are trying to tell you it's all in your head, you scaredy cats, and it's not working for them.